This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and which do you like more, contemplating your own demise or filling out paperwork? Today, because we're sickos, we're talking about both. Not only because on this day in 1792, the first life insurance policy was issued in the United States, but also because we have with us, to help you make sure your evil stepdaughter doesn't steal all your inheritance, the author of Executor Help, David Eady. In our headlines, even the price of Christmas trees are through the roof. How do you rein in your budget? And then, of course, I'll share today's killer trivia. And now, two guys who better have left me their sock collections in their wills. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I see him especially eyeing that pair you're wearing right now. What's that all about? Dirty socks. I don't know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Weird Request for the Holidays for the Win. I'm Joe Salcihai. Once again, for the win. For the win. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Happy Wednesday. And maybe for a lot of people, OG, their last or penultimate, one of my favorite words, penultimate, normal weeks of work this year. If you're not working that final week of the year, or if you've got kind of a modified schedule, even if you don't have a modified schedule and you're working that week. Nobody actually works that week, do they? Right. I mean, you're, you're kind of hanging out, watching bowl games on your phone. You're pissed off that you're not. 
I don't know about that. There's a lot of people I think that enjoy what they do. And I've, I was talking to a guy last night talking about his son's getting double time that week. So how about that? We should get double time here. All of my birthday month should be double time for me. I totally agree. I'm about, who do we talk to about that? Make it happen. We go up and talk to mom. Is that what we do? Make it happen. I don't know. We got a great show today. We're going to double time this intro and get you into the show because we got some great stuff today. We're going to be talking about your budget. You know, we often talk, OG, about ways to negotiate raises, making more money. Yeah, I went to the grocery store last week and holy cow. We're recording this a little bit earlier than it's coming out, but the CPI number just came out at 6.9%. Man. Oh, but the government says that core CPI is really only like four, so we're good. Well, still. Everything except food and energy. (laughs) You know, core. Don't. We, 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 that's a slippery slope. CPI. Yeah. Every week, Cheryl and I in our budget meeting talking about groceries. Mm. I spent $170 last week. Didn't feel like I bought anything. Like, b- without even blinking, 170 Three heads of lettuce and seven apples. Two people. Yeah. It, it, was, it was absolutely ridiculous. So, we got budgets in the headline. We got David Eady here. David is a phenomenal storyteller. And if you are somebody who's been procrastinating on, not only we talk about procrastinating on your life insurance all the time, but you've been procrastinating on getting your estate set up correctly. David's going to share some of the worst horror stories that happen. And I laugh because it's really not funny, but man, there's some ugliness when it comes to, uh, well, when it comes to money, you know, loved one passes away. You think that there's a windfall waiting for you. People do strange things. But before all that, I'm hoping, OG, that uh, the holidays this year are maybe a little more normal. I was thinking about last year and uh, middle of the pandemic, of course, and it was uh, just Cheryl and my son Nick and I, and our house was all ripped up because we were remodeling, and we put a folding table up in front of a ripped-out fireplace, put a couple logs in the fire after talking to our contractor to make sure that we weren't going to burn our house down, and uh, had a... Had a wild time on uh, on construction had a holly, paper. Holly jolly Christmas. It was crazy. No ornaments, no nothing, and uh, but we played some games and we had each other and it was fun. But I certainly hope for a little different this year. And no matter how it goes, Navy Federal has your back because their cash rewards card helps you slay the season. Get it? S L E I G H. Uh huh. Come on, it's. Uh, yeah, you can earn up to words. One, one, play might be strong, uh, but you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for direct deposit and you should have direct deposit. Anyway, you can redeem points as soon as you earn them. Learn more at NavyFederal.org insured by NCUA. All right, David Eady waiting upstairs with mom. So let's get you to the headlines. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our headline today comes to us from uh, the New York Times. Why do Christmas trees cost more this year? You thought that this inflation thing, OG, was limited to maybe things like chicken. Broccoli. Grapes. Not that at all. Mangoes. Yes. This was written by Ann Carnes. And writes, along with much else on the holiday shopping list, Christmas trees, both real and fake, are more expensive this year. Prices for live-cut trees have been creeping up and will run 5 to 10% higher on average than last year, 
said Doug Hunley, a seasonal spokesman for the National Christmas Tree Association, a trade group for tree growers. Fears of mass tree shortages are unwarranted, said Marcia Gray, executive director of the Christmas Tree Promotion Board, a marketing and research group funded by growers and overseen by the Agricultural Department. We do have a tighter supply than we've had in the past, she said, but we haven't run out of trees. Turns out that there's uh, some short-term factors, like there are in a lot of cases, including higher costs for fuel, trucking and labor, and severe weather in some growing regions. A summer heat wave affected tree gourds in parts of the Pacific Northwest, while flooding in British Columbia has affected imports from Canada. Regardless of what's going on there, OG, prices up all over the place. And you and I have talked a lot about earning more, but it's also a fantastic time to lock down your budget. And I think for two reasons, number one, speaking of Christmas trees, I think if you're working on next year's budget this month, coming up for a lot of families is the most expensive two weeks of the year. Right. And if you are working on next year's budget today, I think you're less likely to make mistakes the next couple of weeks. It could cost you well into 2022, but then second, I also think that, you know, for a lot of families, we also get a little bit of quiet time in the next couple of weeks. And if we do, spending that time on locking down the budget is fantastic. My grocery budget until maybe September, pretty loose this year. I would just go to the grocery store and buy what I wanted and whatever. And it was, you know, we'd still have our weekly budget meeting, Cheryl and I, but we started getting serious about the budget, maybe mid-October, late October, as the grocery bill just insane. Just absolutely insane. And really, the first step is kind of trying to identify exactly what are the facts of the case. It's funny that you bring this up as a topic. You and I didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I have on my computer right now downloaded every transaction. We put almost all of our charges, all of our expenses onto our American Express card. It's pretty easy to keep track of and whatever. I like the points. So between that and some ancillary spending somewhere else, it's pretty easy to kind of sort all of the transactions. It's very, very, very eye-opening to, you know, see exactly how many times you go to Whataburger or Chick-fil-A or have DoorDash delivered. My wife and I were talking about this at lunch, <laughs> out to eat, obviously, at lunch the <laughs> other day. Um, There's a theme here. Yeah. About, uh, about this. And I said, I don't think that I want to do anything different about DoorDash next year. She's like, yeah, but you know, we get, we kind of get it a lot. And, and I said, yeah, that's not an area that I'm interested in really cutting. You know, because I work from home, I can't eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day, you know? So I don't really feel like getting in the car and driving across town to go to, you know, lunch or something. So anyways, as you're starting to build the budget, this is something that we started tackling this week. But if you haven't done anything yet, the first thing is to gather all of the information. And don't do it with the eye of like trying to figure out like how bad you were. It's like Columbo, right? Just the facts. You're just trying to get the facts. And you'll see some trends. Like you said, you can see Kroger every other Friday, Kroger, 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 Kroger. And all of a sudden it's like, it was 120 and now it's 170. Yeah. You know, and you can start seeing those things. Uh, You can see how many times you ordered DoorDash. You can see how many times, you know, what extra expenses there were. It's profound to see the the word Amazon, however many times it's on the... Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, probably 600 transactions. It's insane. There's two pieces to doing this. and, And I love what you're saying about gathering the facts and... I don't know the number of people I've talked to that go, oh yeah, I got that. I got mint. I got mint. And then I ask, have you actually opened mint? No, but it's on my phone. I'm good. I'm tracking it. I'm tracking it. I think there's got to be a system of looking at that evidence and seeing what you do. And 
Cheryl and I have this thing that we do, which is once a week, we have a 20 minute meeting and we will just review everything that we did. Now I've used different plans throughout the years. I've used Marcus insights really like that. It's an app that keeps it really simple. It's free. Even if you're not a Marcus customer, I like that. Lately, I've used Tiller Money to look. That one is great for spreadsheet nerds. People love that. There's a fee associated with it. A little thing about Marcus Insights or Mint or any of these free apps is if if it's free, you're not the customer, you're the product, right? So you got to realize that. I'm okay with that. I just decided to get a little nerdier on the way that I track using Tiller. And to your point, that's step one, but we have been doing this book tour, Emily and I, about Stacked. And Emily wrote this chapter on budgeting for the book. And she's got this fantastic analogy about Thomas Jefferson, or she calls him Tommy J. Tommy J. So Tommy J was fantastic at tracking his expenses. He knew where every dollar went. He wrote down everything, OG. But as you probably know, I know where this goes. He was broke as fuck. <laughs> like he, he was the most broke fuck. Of, of all like he just so he knew where his money went but he never did anything about it right. so the other half then is is like you're talking about about values right you work from home you lead a busy lifestyle you got three kids you're like okay doordash hella expensive in a lot of cases but for you time versus money you probably take that time and make more money and so for you from a value equation that makes sense for me that doesn't make sense in a million years i, w- I would never done doordash wouldn't do it ever ever well, they ever, don't have ever. it in in the basement that's the problem with doordash here is you order it takes like four days via stagecoach for it to for it to arrive you gotta order it from mount pleasant <laughs> yeah well my, my issue with eating is that if, if i don't have it this sounds really silly if i don't have it prepared I'm not likely to take time to do go do it. You know what I mean? Like I'll just all of a sudden it'll be like four thirty in the afternoon. I'll be like, dang, I'm hungry. Oh, look, because it's dark and I haven't eaten all day. And that's you know, that's not healthy either. So it's easier for me to say, I'll take a salad and a fruit cup, and all of a sudden it shows up and then I can take a break to eat at that time. You see our friend, he'll be with us again in January, Ramit Sadie talks about having set food, making sure he's got his schedule ready. And and for him, it's the same. I mean, it is time is money. But no matter what you do, having this values conversation, I think is super important. So that's the tracking side. Tommy J, you, me, gather the evidence, but that's not a budget. The second half- Yeah, that's data. Yeah. The second half then is what are you going to do about it and setting up your plan? Now, I've been using Cube Money for fun. And then I asked Ryan and the team to sponsor the show. And man, what a cool thing that is. These, these ideas like Cube and YNAB and Dave Ramsey's Every Dollar, kind of the same thing, three different applications yeah, envelope of Envelope theory or whatever, right? Envelope-based budgeting it gives Every Dollar a purpose. Like if your money is really tight, you don't have a lot of income coming in. I love that type of budget for people that need to lock down Every Dollar because with Cube, I can't go to the grocery store without opening up my app and opening up that envelope, that cube, they call it. Uh, but it really is just the envelope without, you know, and YNAB, very, very similar and uh, very successful for people that need to lock down their budget and, and, and know where every single dollar goes. I know talking to Len Penzo on his end, his budget much, much looser because he's financially independent. He knows that he has enough money to get where he wants to go. And so he and Paula Payne. He's also built a lot of discipline over 30 some odd years of working and knows that 
he knows the areas that he has to focus on. Yes. You know, he's he's looser maybe on grocery budget, for example, than he is on his 401k budget. I guarantee he's got that wired tight, you know. And everybody's different with this. I saw a post on Instagram the other day from a friend of mine that says it's there's a picture of the uh you know, like the I don't say the meter, but the you know, the part where where it tells you how much the gas costs. You know, how many gallons and how many how much dollars yeah. it was, whatever that's yeah. called. The gas pump, I guess. But anyways, uh, it was a picture of that. <laughs> that's the technical t- just stop using such what's, technical. What's the what's the fancy name for that thing where all the gas comes out? <laughs> don't don't use huh? jargon on the show, man. Back it down. So, anyways, the, the post I thought was pretty funny. It said, I don't actually pray to be a millionaire. I just want to be one of the people that can like daydream while the gas is being pumped into my car. <laughs> I've had those many of those days yeah, where you're without, just staring at it going, okay, I can't go over. All right. Yep. And stop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a very real thing. And wherever you are from a cash flow standpoint, from a budget standpoint, some things are more important to you at different times than others. And I think as your income goes up, you start eliminating the care to pay attention at the gas pump or pay attention at the grocery store, or pay attention at the restaurant, or like there's different kind of different levels there as you go. But you still have to pay attention because eventually it does get out of hand, you know? Well, Len and his spouse, the honeybee, have a budget much more like the budget Cheryl and I use very diligently, which is more of a communication-based budget. If everybody's on the same team, like you you talk about you, Mrs. OG, having a discussion over lunch about the evidence, that's a fantastic discussion. I think that's better than any spreadsheet because everybody's on the same page. And I know he and the honeybee talk all the time about their expenses. And like us, they have a systematic way that they do it. I actually really also like Paula Pant's budget idea, which is know how much you need to save, make sure that gets taken away automatically so that your savings is automatic and then spend the rest and don't, worry a ton about where it goes. I mean, make sure that all the bills get paid, but Hey, if the savings is done and you're not getting into credit card problems, then who cares? Well, and I know you talk about it in your book about like, as you get pay raises also like capture those right away. Don't, don't let it go by without, without acknowledging that that thing just happened and automating your way to putting that into your savings or into your spending or be intentional about it, I think is a message. Don't just let it kind of expand your lifestyle unnecessarily. And maybe you can, there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Like if you make 50 grand, you get a pay raise to 60, some of that, maybe even all of it's going to go to lifestyle, right? Like who some breathing room. If you're saving enough, who cares? I mean, if you're saving enough to meet your goals, spend more. Well, we talk about lifestyle creep. Let's be real about it. I mean, like I said, if you, if you make $50,000 and you get a pay raise to 60,000, I don't really call that lifestyle creep. Lifestyle creep is when you make 150 and 10 years later you make 400 mm. and you still haven't saved a penny. That's yeah. lifestyle creep. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and certainly depending on the area, the country. That's that not you live even in. lifestyle creep. That's lifestyle balling right there. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's lifestyle sprinting in the opposite direction. <laughs> yes. and, and you have to be careful with this too, because when we use numbers and arbitrarily just throwing them out, saying 150,000. If you're talking to somebody who lives in the Midwest, that might be a lot of money. If you're talking to somebody that lives in Silicon Valley, they're like, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't make ends meet on 150. Yeah, there was a piece that I almost chose for our headline today, but I like this one so much better. 
with year end, but it was about that. It was about stop comparing your budgets to people in the other side of the world yeah, and, and just other parts of the nation. They were comparing a budget to somebody who's in San Francisco and somebody who is in Jackson, Tennessee, which by the way, is a town that when I road trip North for the holidays, yep. I always stop there, but, but Jackson, Tennessee, it has the lowest standard of living. <laughs> like you can, your dollar goes way further than than most places yeah. in the US. But yeah, you can't compare yourself to other people and you just have to I mean, you got to do you. You it very much helps, I think, my perspective on problem solving is to gather facts that are necessary to make a decision and then decide. And here's the great thing about working through this. We talk a lot about with our clients that financial planning is not a it's not a one-time activity. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, what's my financial plan?" A plan is a noun, it's a thing, it's a booklet, a paper, a whatever you want to call it. It's a thing. Planning is an action word. My kids are in school, so we get to use fun school type, you know, these are thing words and these are action words, you know, or a verb, right? You know, so so planning is a thing that you do. It's an action that you partake in and it never ends. And so the great thing about your budget or I even don't even like the word budget. I like the word spending plan. I like to think about the numbers in advance, not not retroactively. But as you think about your spending plan, you can go, yeah, this doesn't work for me. Um, I, I ran a month like this. Didn't, didn't like the way that my grocery budget worked out. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. need more food in the house than this. Or I prefer to have fresher food. And yeah, that costs more money. And so I'm going to make a different choice in the next month. And you get to do that. Last, last piece on this, I think we should bring up is that when your budget gets busted during 2022, like it did, I'm sure for all of us in 2021, from time to time, it's not going to get busted by the usual stuff. Like we all know about the groceries, the gasoline, the, you know, you can see the grocery expenses I mentioned coming the last several months and Cheryl and I plan for that, but that's not where the budget gets busted. The budget gets busted when your kids got to go to three birthday parties for friends in the course of a month, or you totally forget to put money aside for the family vacation, or even you do put money aside, but you know, you're on vacation and you're like, oh, what the hell? You know, we're on vacation. Let's spend a few extra dollars more than we put aside, you know, much more mundane, but it happens. Mufflers dragging behind the car. The check engine light comes on. Just recently, I was on my way to see Brian and Bo up in uh, Nashville to go on the money guy show. And I got a flat tire within a hundred yards of the bridge crossing the Mississippi river. All of a sudden I'm buying four new tires for my car. Cause why replace just one when they're all in the yellow zone, according to discount tire. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. They, they really got you, got you pretty <laughs> quick, didn't they? But okay. Well, I have been driving a ton and, and you know, uh, th- those tires will pay for themselves and safety and, Anyway. Okay, sure. Well, they they won't, but they're not going to pay for themselves. It's an expense, but it's an unexpected one, I think was your point. And yeah, and so some of it's stuff that you get you get busted on because life happens. Some of it's stuff you get busted on because you didn't do a good job planning ahead of time. And some of it, I, well, all this time I was waiting for you to, to like point your finger at me and say, or the late night Amazon shopping, you know, after you've had <laughs> a couple of a couple, couple drinks, glasses of wine, and you're like, I should have more of this. I should have it delivered. I got a great idea. Let's, let's have this, make sure this is delivered automatically to my house from now Which on. Which thing should I do? Should I go post my anger on Twitter or should I Amazon shop? Exactly. It's funny. I was in a group uh, discussion a couple of months ago and we were talking about 
emailing and one of the guys in the group said under no circumstances does he ever reply to an email after he's had any sort of alcohol not even one drop it's a great rule and he's like i'll read them i'll even you know think about how i want to reply to them it's a fantastic he's like, rule. But rather than trying to say like well after one drink i shouldn't or two drinks i should he goes i just say any you know because it's just yep the worst feeling in the world is waking up the next day and going what did i write I don't think that's where people thought we'd end our budgeting discussion, but that's probably it. <laughs> the uh, lots of lessons there. I think lesson don't number Amazon one: shop on on after uh, after a couple of cocktails. That should be your lesson. Let's let's do this, stackers. Let's work on our budget here before twenty twenty two starts. It'll help you with the last couple of weeks of the year. It'll also help you roll into the next year with a plan. Gather the evidence. That's number one by having tracking mechanisms, but that's not a budget. Number two: figure out what your budget is. Is it going to be a communication-based budget? Use one of the cool apps out there to look at where every dollar goes. Or third, get your savings automatically done and spend the rest. Uh, what is your budget going to be? And then last, remember those outliers. What outliers are going to hamstring you in 2022? But I think, OG, if we do those three things, I think we nail it. I think we're rocking going into the new year. I like it. Coming up next, David Eady is a certified executor advisor. He's worked in the financial planning industry for more than 35 years, and he's a guy who's had, sadly, personal experience in this area of not getting things set up the right way or having things set up, OG, even the right way, he thought, but it wasn't enough. He spent seven years and over $50,000 in lawyer fees to come to an agreement with siblings over his parents' estate. We'll ask him about that story. And by the way, parents already had a will too. Parents had a will. So you've got a will. You think it's all taken care of? David Eady's going to tell you, maybe you need to look again. In fact, uh, even scheduling this, I thought, maybe it's time for me to look again. Succession planning. But first, we got, uh, oh, oh, look at you, Doug. All right. Doug here with maybe, uh, maybe a little rant and some trivia. Let's go. Stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, it was in Philadelphia that the first life insurance plan was created on this day, setting off a service that's now used by 54% of Americans. In 2019, insurance benefits and claims totaled $762.1 billion. Here's a fun little nugget I won't even charge you for. Did you know that the Slayer rule in life insurance policies doesn't pertain to that awesome band, but to the fact that if the beneficiary murders the policyholder, the benefits are generally not paid out? There goes my plan to lure Joe's mom to the top of the basement stairs. Hey, when you're looking for health insurance, your cost will be affected based on your age, smoking status, health, and medical history. Another key factor, though, will jump your rate up or down about 12%. Think you know what that might be? I'll be back with the answer right after I check the language in my policy to see if dying of shock from looking at my portfolio this week is covered. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. 
Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, and it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together, and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey stackers, I'm attempted inheritance pirate and admitted insurance form fudger, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and we're talking about life insurance, which is basically a company making bets on how long you'll live. And sometimes, they don't like the odds. According to Investopedia, smokers can pay 100 to 300% more. They took one look at me and told me they'd rather bet on the Detroit Lions winning the Super Bowl. I don't know what that means, so what's the factor that will raise your rate 12%? It's gender, with men paying more. What's that all about? Is it like the bacon cheeseburgers we eat or the 3 a.m. drag racing? The fact that I'd rather saw off whatever part of my body's bothering me than let a doctor touch me with that cold, cold stethoscope? It's BS, I say. But if I do kick the bucket, I should probably have listened to our next guest. David Eady. And here he comes down the stairs to the basement. David Eady is here. How are you, man? I'm fine. I'm, uh, I made it down the stairs. I've got two bad knees, but um, it's great to be here in this basement. You found a way. It's different. Coming all the way from Canada and now being down here in your mom's basement. <laughs> I'm here to have a conversation with you, Joe, whatever it takes. Gotta, <laughs> you know, come down the stairs. I'll do it. It's a whole different definition of going south, right? You're going down the stairs. But anyway, I want to begin, David, where you begin, because when I opened up your book, you start off, and it's a great and horrible introduction to this whole topic. You write, my nightmare began when my mom died in 2011, and less than a year later, my dad was gone too. Obviously, when you lose a parent, it's horrible. When you lose a second parent within a year, that's horrible. But you're not really talking about any of that. Tell me what the nightmare was. Well, 
started from there, but it was seven years, 10 court appearances and $50,000 in lawyer's fees to settle my parents' estate. And they had a will. During that time, over those seven years, every time I would talk about uh, what I was going through, whether it be with friends or clients, I'd hear about an executor said, oh my goodness, I've gone through something like that. Or someone would say, you know what? I still don't talk to my brother or sister because of the family's broken up because of an estate. So I didn't want any other people to go through what I went through. And the pandemic came. And so I decided to write the book. What often surprises me, David, when I hear about estate problems is, and don't get me wrong, you go through a bunch of cases where people are fighting over big sums of money and sometimes small sums of money. But as often as that it seems like I always hear these stories about they're fighting over mom wanted me to have that rocking chair or mom wanted me to have this figurine. I mean, the fights really get into some really small things. Absolutely. And that comes from siblings still carry on. We, you know, you might be in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It doesn't matter. You're still going to go back to when you were 11 or 12 years old and you didn't get along with your brother or your sister. And those problems that you have just manifest and come uh, appear during the, you know, the passing of a loved one when there's an inheritance. It's not uncommon. Uh, I was talking to a mediator and he said that he had a client whereby, you know, they almost were getting close to getting to a settlement. And uh, the brother says, you know, what? I don't want to talk to my brother because he's a thief. And he says, what are you talking about? He says, well, you know what? When he was 11 years old, he stole a chocolate bar from a store. Oh my! And, and today I still don't trust him. So, you know, I've got another friend who's telling me that he doesn't talk to his brother because his mother had left the Royal Dalton, China. She wanted to go to his wife. And the brother says, well, you know, I'd like that Royal Dalton, China. He says, well, you know, go discuss it with my wife because mom wanted her to have it. He went and discussed it. She says, you know, your mom says I, I should have it. Came back to his brother says, what? Your wife is a, you fill in the blank. And they haven't spoken for 11 years. Oh, Unbelievable. It and, just, and the brother is a multi multi millionaire. Families are going to fight. Every family's got issues. Um, it's just human nature. I mean, there's probably issues in your family that there's a cousin or a brother or there's a sibling that you don't get along. You think they're a moron. Every family's got their own issues. And that's why, you know, even the TV show Succession is so popular. Look what we're looking at. We're looking at a family where the father's about to pass away and he wants to transfer the business over, but he's got this dysfunctional moron family that he's got to deal with. They aren't looking at what's going to be coming to them as something that, you know, their father's passing on to them. They're looking at it as money coming to them. They're feeling entitled. So it's not uncommon, you know, whether it's it's a lot of money or a little money, or if you're fighting over a little lava lamp, it's not uncommon. Yeah. And I don't want to gloss over something that you said, because I think everybody listening to this, David, as you know, thinks, well, okay, get a will. But you said your parents had a will and further on into the introduction, you explained too, that your parents did something that I think a lot of people do, which is they divided their things equally as well. What could your parents have done different if they had a will and they divided everything equally that might have uh, headed this off at the pass? They should have had the conversation with all three of us. To get to your point, when something is equal in the eyes of other someone else, it's not usually fair. So even though everything was supposed to be split three ways, one sibling didn't think it was fair enough. And they believe that they should get two thirds and my other sister and I should split a third because for whatever reason, they felt entitled. And that's 
what we call the curse of inheritance. They feel that it's unearned wealth. They feel entitled to it and they should have it. My parents didn't have the conversation with us and say, this is what's going to be. It's going to be broken down three ways. It's going to be split three ways. As an advisor, I, I had them in the office. Um, I had them, you know, had the will done. My other sister was in the, uh, the office with them. That's the other mistake that was made. As much as I've been in the financial planning industry for 35 years, I could not fathom sitting in a lawyer's office, even though I've done it over the 35 years with clients, I could not fathom myself sitting there talking about the demise of my parents. I just couldn't do it. I wasn't in the room, but my other sister was, and she knew what was going on. Unfortunately, the third sister didn't know. So when my mom passed away and then when also my father, she added this resistance. And that's where we ended up having uh, trouble. So if my parents had, you know, sat us down and said, when we're gone, this is what's going to happen, then that should have been enough. And even I've had reports where even though the parents have had the conversation, children still don't accept it because they feel entitled. They feel they need to have it. Bottom line, you need to have the conversations with your children. I know it's a problem for a lot of parents to do so because they're afraid. They're afraid how the children are going to act. They're afraid that they're giving up their independence. They're afraid that the children are going to say, well, you haven't got enough money. It doesn't matter. It's your assets. So whatever you say should go and it should suffice to everybody. If they get mad, so be it. But at least you've let what you want to have done and your final wishes to be taken carried out the way you want it to be. It's so amazing. Some of these horror stories that you illustrate, David, where really just talking more, just more communication could have solved so many issues. I was surprised by some statistics that you share early on. So I want to share these with our audience. You said that a study done by the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce found that 84% of respondents have named a friend or family member as executor, 84%. Is that bad or is that good that people name a friend or a family member? It can go either way. But the problem is, yes, you are, you've been named an executor. And a lot of times people don't even know they're been named executor until they get a phone call from a lawyer. And then they're given this huge responsibility. And then you take that responsibility, which is going to take them at least 100 hours, uh, 100 hours to work on the estate. And it can take anywhere from 18 to 24 months. And since the pandemic, it could take even longer. Which also you say people underestimate that. You've got statistics further down. 38% of people thought it would take less than six months. And you're saying it could be triple that or quadruple that amount of time. Absolutely. And then if you add in what I call the triangle of conflict, which means if you've got one of these issues as part of the estate, which could be there's no will, there's a second marriage, or the siblings and the family members don't get along. If you've got one, even just one of those issues as part of the estate and you're the executor, the job just got a whole lot more difficult. People aren't, as much as they are given the responsibility And people all should understand is that you you can opt out. You don't have to be an executor. You can renounce. If you know what sort of uh, the mess that you're getting yourself into, and I understand people will take on the responsibility because they're doing it out of duty. They feel it's it's something they're supposed to do. Maybe mom and dad want you to do it. That can be a problem if you're not well prepared, if you're not prepared to understand what the job entails. Yeah, you write... uh Another statistic here, 80% of those people, of those friends or family members said that uh, they had no prior experience in administering a will. So we find out at the last minute, 
We have no idea what the job entails. It's it's four times longer to do it than we think it's going to take, and we feel that obligation. What are some tips to pick the right person to name as your executor? Well, there's no one right answer because every estate is going to be different. The family dynamics are going to be different. But what I would say is a guideline. First off, you need to have the conversation. So whatever decision you make that who you've made as the executor, that you have to make sure that everybody understands why you're doing or who you're picking and what's the reason for it. Having said that, then you need to also figure out, okay, if the, the executor you choose it's best that they live in the you know city or town or the state close by because there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's a lot of things that you're going to have to do. And like I said, part of those 100 hours, that individual is going to have to give it up maybe during working hours. Mm-hmm. So if they live you know on the other side of the world, they live in a different state and it's going to cost them time to be flying back and forth, it doesn't really make sense to have someone who's far away. So then you can use that as one of the reasons why you've picked a particular uh, individual, whether it be a, a child or a family friend, you say, well, you know what, they're in the area and it's going to be a lot easier on them. And then if you pick more than one executor and they are in the same town, you also have to understand if you pick more than one, you need to have to have everybody's signature to sign off to get things done. And then you also have to figure out, are they all going to get along? Because if they don't get along, yeah. in my case, we were three, but I renounced because... I was dealing with a sibling, which uh, I couldn't stand to be in the same room with, but I renounced so that it would keep the process uh, going through. Does it make sense to put a tiebreaker provision? You know, if you've got three of you and the three of you can't decide, does that make sense to put something in the case of a tie? This is how we dis- we solve it? Well, that's why I recommend in the book that you set up your, your team of advisors. You know, make yeah. sure you have, you have an accountant, make sure you've got a lawyer and you've got a financial advisor that's going to help manage the assets until they're distributed. That's where you, you might lean on and get the counsel of, of your lawyer. This is going to be a tough job. There's no two ways about it. But you want to be as prepared as possible for those things like, the, you know, the tiebreaker if there's a problem. Hopefully, the, the lawyer can explain, you know what, if you do this, this, and this, it's going to settle the estate faster, and it's going to save you a lot of money. There's only three goals that you're trying to achieve. You want to pay the right amount of taxes. You want to pay the beneficiaries. And then you want to get in, you know, in the United States, you want to make sure you got the uh, the probate court to give you the documentation, say that the estate's closed. That's it. You just want those three goals. But to get those three goals achieved, there's a whole bunch of steps that you got to do. If you've got no will, a blended family, or you've got siblings that don't get along, you're not going to achieve those goals in a hurry. I had somebody tell me one time quite a while ago that the person you choose is an executor should be okay a little bit, David, being seen as a jerk, <laughs> as, as just somebody who's not going to get upset when people start getting angry with them. Would you say that that's fair? And you have to have a thick skin, but then again, you have to go with your eyes wide open. So that's why I advocate in the book that, because the book's written for two people. Yeah, It's the person who's an executor who knows who's going to have the, res- the responsibility and also somebody who's setting up their estate so that they can prepare their executor. So if your executor is properly prepared and knows what the responsibility is, the nonsense that's going to come, and I'm telling you that nonsense is going to come from beneficiaries, they have to understand that it's going to come and be prepared for it. You have to understand when you're leaving a legacy, you know, leaving money behind, you're leaving the money behind and you're seeing it one way. When you are an inheritor, 
you're a beneficiary, you see the situation a different way. You see this as money coming to you. So it's two different goals. And because you are receiving this money and it's an inheritance, your lack of logic, of, of, of fairness can go out the window. There's a saying, you never really know about somebody until you have to share an inheritance with them. Mm. Because it's the true meaning of how you see how humans treat each other. It's what they call the curse of inheritance. Again, unearned wealth and a sense of entitlement. So as the executor, you need to understand, okay, fine, I'm the executor. Yes, I'm going to be a little bit of a jerk. There's going to be some nonsense coming at me because it doesn't take much for a beneficiary to want to either have you removed or want to sue you. So you have to be prepared for that. That's why I say you make sure you, you know, you've got a lawyer on hand. But then the other thing is also to remember that the key to quelling those problems is to have communication. Keep them up to date. Don't go you know, two, three, two, three weeks, a month or so, and have no communication with beneficiaries. Keep them up to date. Have a Zoom call. Have an email every once or two weeks and say, this is what's happening, just to let them know. As soon as you break off any communication or there's radio silence, this is when they're saying, hey, he's doing something. What's taking so long? They're putting the money in their pocket. They're doing something that's, uh, you know, that's not right. They're going to look at you sideways. So if you have good communication, you shouldn't have problems with the beneficiaries. Which is human nature, I think. Whenever I'm not around people that were working on a shared project, I assume they're doing nothing, right? Or that they're doing nothing well. And then I'm often surprised when I talk to them two or three weeks later and they've done this mountain of work. But in my head, and I think I'm not the only one who does this, I think there's there's clearly nothing going on because I've heard nothing. Otherwise, they would have said something. And what's, what's horrible is I feel like throughout the book, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but you inadvertently, I guess, make this point that if it does go to court, nobody wins. There's no winner when a court date happens. Exactly, because everybody wants to have their day in court. They feel, and I felt the same way too, if I just got in front of the judge, they will see what a what a moron the other side is. That's all I, I just need my day in court. Unfortunately, a day in court is not like a Law & Order episode. It's not an hour. We're talking days, weeks, months, and there's a lot of stress. And, and in my case, over those seven years, in year number six, in a November, I didn't feel so good. Went to the hospital because in January we're going to go back to court in the hospital, just getting checked out. And they said, you know what? Yeah, we can't let you go. You need to have double bypass surgery. Wow. So I figured, okay, I'm going to take those four or five weeks off because I got to get better because I got to get back to court to continue the fight. Luckily, in January, it got canceled and took place a little later on. But going through this long period of fighting, it, it builds up. It's just a lot of stress. It's just nonsense. And I, I can remember sitting in the courtroom all the time saying, how did we end up here? What is this nonsense that we're doing? My parents would be horrified to see what we're, we're doing and for what. It doesn't make any sense. When you become an executor and you decide to take on that task, you made the great point a couple times now that the first thing is to get everybody on board, set expectations, tell them how long this is going to take, that it's not going to be an easy process. But really, what then, David, do I tackle first? They have physical assets. They have maybe a house that needs to be dealt with. They have uh, the personal property. There's investments. Where do I begin? Once you know that you are the, the executor, you need to know that the testator, the person who set up the will, you want to make sure you want to have that conversation with them. You need to know where important information is kept. 
So in the book I talk about, you want to have a big, bright red envelope because when, you know, someone passes away, there's going to be a lot of grief. There's a lot of trauma and nobody can find anything when there's, there's trauma. So you need to say, you know, if something was to happen, you're the executor, look for that big, bright orange envelope. All the information's in there. But boy, and the big thing here, not to cut you off, but the big thing here is more and more too, I got to imagine online passwords, having that conversation are hugely important. Joe, we were, I was just about to say <laughs> that because a lot of people think that, okay, I've got my estate. So, you know, it's, it's the investments, it's the house, it's the car, those sort of things. That, but we've also got the digital assets and the digital assets is anything you either bought or done online. Everything that you've done is either sitting in the cloud or sitting on your hard drive. You need those logins and those passwords. And now with cryptocurrency, you need the passwords for all those. So over and above, you know, the regular assets that we were all accustomed to over the years. Now we've got these digital assets and that's also talking about social media. I have a friend of mine who's telling me a friend of his passed away. And even though a person's passed away, his Facebook page is still posting, even though he's gone. So, and each social media company has its own protocol in terms of how to shut down or delete those um, uh, access. And then also you have to take into consideration the digital assets also opens up for identity theft. You know, you might, even though you've got active accounts, if someone knows someone's passed away, they could try to impersonate themselves and, you know, maybe take out a mortgage or, or a line of credit or credit cards and things of that nature. So you, as the executor, you have to know where all the logins and all the passwords are. And that's what you need the testator to do to have that in that big, bright, orange, red envelope. Boy, and I had somebody tell me just recently too, David, that don't forget the little password to unlock your phone. You know, I mean, some of these things we could, I would completely overlook that if somebody hadn't said it to me. Exactly. You mean you've got your emails that you've done, your banking online, all of those things. You've got um, rewards programs, Netflix, all of those things where, and also where, you know, money's being deducted monthly. You need to go shut those down. You have to get in touch with them and say that the person has passed away. So when you're asking me, what, what does the beneficiary need to do? First, they've got to follow the will as it's written. Always keep in mind that you're working in the best interests of the beneficiaries. Don't show any favoritism and only deal with the beneficiaries, not the wife of the beneficiary, not the cousin, mm. only the beneficiaries. Make sure that you keep in communication with the beneficiaries. You know, as the executor, you have to deal with the creditors. You have to settle any debts that the, the testator, the person has passed away. You want to make sure you deal with them and also the tax authorities. That's why the accountant comes in there. It's important that you keep good records of all of your actions on behalf of the estate. So beneficiaries can't come back and say, hey, you did something or you didn't do anything right. Or you also want to make sure that the government doesn't come back and say, you know, you're doing something shady in the estate because you're liable as the executor of the estate and they could come back on you. So you want to make sure you could keep good records, pay all any outstanding bills. Don't pay out no money to any beneficiaries, even though they say, you know what? I've got an eye on a boat, you know, it, and I know this money's coming to me. Why don't you, you know, $50,000, why don't you send me 20 now and you can give me the rest later. You're paying nobody until the all the debts are paid, all the taxes are paid, and then you can then start distributing to the beneficiaries. Again, you're going to have that conversation with the, with the accountant. Is it okay if I release some funds? You don't want to pay out that money and then the final tax bill comes, you don't have enough. Try and get that money back and say, you know what? Maybe I gave you too much. I need some back. Try and collect that money back. So don't give any money about uh, I'm, anybody else. 
I'm laughing as you say that, David, because I've seen that before. People try to get money back from beneficiaries. And of course, you know, unearned money, like you were talking about inherited money that people think is entitled to them. People blow that money very quickly. Like you can't get that money back out of that boat. The the inheritance for some people, and I always thought it is they think that this is their lottery win or somehow all of this money is going to, it's going to fix all of their financial difficulties or whatever they've done in life. And this is, this money is going to be, it's going to fix it. Whatever mistakes they might've made clearly weren't, they weren't listening to the stacking Benjamin's podcast, but these people are thinking, okay, this cash is coming to me. This is going to fix me forever. So again, it's all on you taking on the responsibility as executor that you figure out, okay, I'm going to release some dollars because the accountant says it's okay. Cause I know what the tax bill is going to be. And in the U S for you guys, you need to make sure that the probate court provides the final ruling on division and distribution of all the assets to the beneficiaries once the taxes and other debts have been paid. And then you're good to go. Clearly, we already know this is not only your area of expertise, but because of your personal situation, it's something that you're very passionate about. But I also know that as an author, when I speak to people, that in the process of writing the book, that there's something that usually surprises you, right? Was there anything as you were writing Executor Help where you went, wow, I didn't know that, or something that was pretty pretty hidden that, uh, that you wish more people knew? Yes. And actually, those are two particular chapters. One was about pets. Individuals don't think about their pets and what they want to happen to them. In the eyes of the law, your pets are seen as property. So if the executor doesn't know what to do with them, they might just end up in the shelter. I've also heard of people just opening the door and letting the cats and dogs just fend for themselves. So you need to make sure that you have provision of what do you want to happen to the, the furry members of your family. The second thing is, is was for business owners. I had talked to business owners while I was doing the research for the book. Do you have a succession plan? And 80% came back and said no. And I'm like, ooh, and I didn't have a chapter in there. So that's why I did the chapter on not only do you have a business, but the reason why you need to have a succession plan. And especially if you have a business and it's the income that your family relies on. In in the book, I use the example of Tony Shea, who was the head of Zappos. Right. You know, $1.2 billion. uh, Amazon bought them. He made about $214 million in August of 2020. He retired from uh, Zappos. He had an estimated worth of $850 million. And that was in August of 2020, November of 2020. At the age of 46, before his uh, 47th birthday, he died. He was worth $850 million. I mean, you talk about Jerry Garcia and all the mess, David, that he went through. I think he had a will, didn't he? He had a will and it was worth like $50 million. And after his death... His third wife, who was the executor, she was facing claims against the estate of over $50 million. Wow. And one of the biggest was um, claims was from his second wife, who Jerry had agreed to pay her $5 million for support at a rate of $250,000 a year. So, you know, the estate couldn't afford it, ended up going to court, and they eventually came to an agreement because she did have a claim but they decided on $1.2 million as a settlement. So the third wife um, as the executor, she did an amazing job, start off with $50, $50 million in claims, and she was able to whittle it down to, at the end, uh, based on a documentary that was done, uh, she got it down to $700,000. 
But she said that being the executor of that estate, it was like a second job because he also had an individual who made a claim about the guitars and he wanted to get paid. And the band said, no, we own the guitar. So he took them to court and then he ended up winning because it was, he got a few of the guitars and the other ones went back to the, the band. And then he wanted the estate to pay the taxes on his winning. So <laughs> these are things that as an executor, you have to be prepared to, to battle, you know, the creditors and these claims against the, uh, the estate. Yeah. And even though these are celebrities, you make the point over and over that it's not about the money. It's not about how much money you have. It's a fact that people will fight. The book is executor help, how to settle an estate. This is, it, it's weird to say David about estate planning. This was truly truly a fun read in the way that um, it's just so interesting. The things that you think about and the way that you tell stories throughout the book to make these fantastic uh, points. The book's called again, executor help, how to settle an estate. We'll have a link to it on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. I'm assuming David, it's widely available. Absolutely. Anywhere you can get books. Fantastic. Well, I just wanted to say this subject, it's not sexy. But spoiler alert, we're all going to die. So I just try to make it people think about and get them to move along so that they'll, they'll make those decisions. Again, you want to leave a legacy, not a legacy and a mess. So just make it easier on your family and your executor to get what has to get done. I'm Jen from the Frugal Friends podcast. And when I'm not cutting the end of the toothpaste tube off to get that last little bit of toothpaste, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to David for stopping by. How about that? Even Cherry Garcia ice cream fought over. Aretha Franklin. <laughs> I know, right? Remember hers? Just, hers, hers was uh, on a piece of paper. Well, no. On four pieces of paper. Just leave lots of last will and testaments all dated the same, all signed and notarized. Boy, you can tell that you and I got the point from, from, from that discussion. Screw you, <laughs> I'll be dead. <laughs> totally got the point. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, well, they put what you value first, OG. Estate plans and afternoon naps. Mm, sounds good to me. It's your loved ones and your time, but it's so much better to be napping. To napping with your loved ones. Wait. With your loved ones. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. You know, it's that time of year. The biggest gift you can give to somebody is the gift of getting your insurance finally done. You know you need it. Stackybedjamins.com slash Haven Life. Today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to Daniel. Say hi, Daniel. Recorded from my seventh floor apartment, it's my question. I'm SB caller Daniel, and have you ever wanted to steal like an artist? Sure you have. Today's headlines about a mid-40s couple who don't believe in RE, but are near an FI and are planning to drastically reduce their income next year. Yeah, this guy will never stop working. In our TikTok moment, we'll also hear about the same couple getting RSUs from a large tech company up here in the Pacific Northwest. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to answer... Is it better to sell the cover or pay the taxes out of pocket now and sell them as needed later in the year or sell all now and put in a high yield savings account? Ha! Do those even exist? We won't have time for trivia, but the answer is XL. Not because of the guns, but because of the gut. Can't wait for dessert. Wow. There's a lot in there. Big thanks to Daniel. 
I think we have a winner, OG. Hashtag one take. <laughs> that, that'd be amazing if that was his first take. And by the way, and also huge kudos to you, Daniel, but it doesn't have to be that elaborate, guys. Uh, I don't want anybody to get scared away because yeah, Don't Daniel's- let that intimidate you. Right. He has more time than anybody, <laughs> apparently. Don't think you got to be Daniel, but holy cow. Wow. Wow. Nice work. Good job. Uh, sounds like we're talking about restricted stock, OG. What are you thinking, Lincoln? Yeah, I heard the question in there, should we sell to cover? And I, I think this is a different um, terminology being incorrect here. So generally speaking... Um, well, it sounds like it could be then instead of restricted stock units, maybe it's... Yeah, it could be non-qualified shares. So, so, so basically, let's talk about each one of those. So restricted shares are part of your compensation pack. Well, I guess everything's part of your compensation package, but usually given as a bonus or an incentive for staying around and vest over a period of time, usually three years or four. And the day that they vest, they become taxable to you. And almost... Without question, what happens is they will w- remove some of those shares. Let's say that you're granted a 400 shares and they vest 100 at a time. Your custodian, whether it's uh, E-Trade or Morgan Stanley or the two biggest ones right now, will withhold uh, 25% of that generally. So they'll they'll keep 25 shares. And on your day of vesting, you'll have 75 shares available to do with it as you please. Most people at that time, sell those 75 shares because uh, you've just been taxed on them. The value when they vest is the ordinary income tax day. So usually the custodians kind of do you a solid and say, yeah, don't worry about paying the taxes. We withheld it. Just like if you're going to get paid you know, cash, a normal paycheck that week, your company doesn't make you withhold the taxes. They withhold it for you. So I don't even know if it's possible. Some companies probably wouldn't even let you do this to say, well, no, just give me the shares and I'll pay my own taxes later. It would be, uh, I mean, I guess you could do it. I, I don't, you'd have to be under the impression that your stock is going to just skyrocket over the time between now and when taxes are due, I suppose. But, um, but anyway, don't make it complicated. Just let them withhold the 25% and then sell your stock, whatever you want to do, sell it, keep it, do whatever it's yours. Non-qualified options, not RSUs, restricted share units or restricted stock units, but non-qualified stock options are a different thing. They give you a strike price or a grant price and an expiration date and a vesting schedule. And then you decide when you want to exercise those. So let's say your stock right now is trading at $50 a share. They say, okay, we're going to give you the option to buy a whole bunch of stock at 50 bucks a share. You can buy a thousand shares at 50 bucks a share anytime between now and 2031. Well, you're going to wait, right? You're not going to do it today. Why do it today? There's no benefit. You might as well wait till the stock's trading at 500 a share in 10 years from now. When you go to do that, you have to figure out how you're going to pay the $50 a share times 1,000 shares. Most people say, well, just withhold that from the number of shares that I'm going to exercise and kind of make it all in a wash, right? I'm going to sell it on the open market for 500. I get to buy it at 50, just net it out, and I'll take the cash. And then also take out all the taxes that I owe. (laughs) So I get less and then less again, you know? Again, if you're under the impression or you're of the belief that your stock is going to go through the roof, you want to hold on to it for a long period of time, you'd rather pay the taxes from a different source, maybe you've got the cash saved, you can do that. But um, I don't see a lot of people doing that generally. Yeah, the biggest danger here is inadvertently loading up on company stock, I think. Well, and that's what happens. I mean, realistically, it's, it seems 
impossible, especially when you're getting little bits of shares at a time. But as your career goes, and especially if you stay in the same company for a long time, the higher you go in in your organization, the more your compensation is generally going to be based on equity. So it's a great thing. But if you don't stay on top of it, you can all of a sudden start kind of spiraling out of control in terms of the percentage of your net worth being part of company stock. You know, 10%, okay. 15%, eh, okay. 20%, eh, 25, uh, starting to get a little stressful. Feeling the portfolio start to creep. It just depends on how much money you have, right? I mean, if you get 25% of your, port- of your net worth is in company stock and your net worth is 10 million, okay. You know, you probably have a lot less to be concerned with than if 25% of your net worth is in company stock and your net worth is 100,000. Well, and I think likewise also, it depends on how much money of that you need for your goals to be sure you reach them. Well, yeah. Right? That yeah. you want to conservatively reach. Because, hey, if you can if you can put, leave 75% of your money in company stock and not be worried about having the old Enron happen, you know, because 25% of your money will help you reach your goal, then, hey, have at it. But I think the old adage, 10% is there for a reason for um, most people. Yeah. 10 to 20. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take. Thanks for the awesome, awesome question, Daniel. <laughs> we so appreciate the the creativity. Just amazing. And for that, Daniel gets a... Nerd! Uh, com forward slash voicemail if you want to leave us a message as well. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Man, what a great show we had today. David Eady, just a fantastic discussion on budgets. Coming up on Friday, playing the money long game. Does always pay off. You know, you hear people talk about playing the long game. Should you play the long game, play the short game? Doc G joins us on our Friday roundtable show coming up next. Thanks to everybody for all the kind words about the 201, our Fantastic newsletter. If you want to get the 411 on your money, hit up the 201, stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. And if you're looking to make better decisions with your money in 2022 and beyond, it's so weird. Uh, I feel like it's a new year. Remember the old days of writing checks and you had to start writing the new year? Yep. 2022. I mean, you still have to write dates on stuff, so it's kind of the same, right? Yeah. Remember when you had to write a date on some form on the internet? Can you, is that where we're going to be like 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Remember back when you had to fill in your own stuff when you went to buy stuff on the internet? Oh, now I just use my fingerprint, my good looking face. Ding. Stackybenjamins.com slash OG gets you to OG and his team. They're taking clients. And uh, if you need to make better decisions, that's how you interface with them for a brighter future next year and beyond. All right. That's going to do it for today. As we slide into the second half of the week, peeps, go get them. Let's go stack some Benjamins. Doug, what should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. I know you're sitting on hold with an actuarial trying to convince them to lower your policy rate. So I'll tell everybody what we should have learned today. First, take a lesson from our trivia question. That life insurance is a sexist institute and I shan't have any part of it. Besides, you know, actually, like, having a life insurance policy so I can make sure my family's taken care of. But otherwise, I'm out! Second, take some advice from David Eady. Get that will on lockdown to make sure there's no family chair throwing during the execution of the will. 
But the big lesson... After listening to David Eady, I've made the decision to make Joe's mom my executor. She's the only fiscally responsible one left in the basement. She doesn't give away anything. Thanks to David Eady for being on the show today. You can get his book, Executor Help, anywhere they sell caskets or books. But probably just the books. And thanks to OG for pointing out that it's pronounced executor and not executor. I was pretty scared of letting David down in the basement until OG pointed that out. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. Copyright 2021 and is created by Joe Salciha. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Know how I know how brilliant Paulette is? She wrote the words I'm reading right now. While she's not putting awesome words in my mouth, she helps writers power their work and businesses power their words. See how she can help you at thatwriterpaulette.com. After you listen to our show, check out our show notes page and the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 401 about all things money at the 201, our newsletter, at stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all The Basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, saying see you next time, folks. I think somebody is uh, trying to trying to steal our information, Joe. Really? I think. Of course they are. I think there's a copyright issue here for our show. So, uh, Gordon Ramsay. Never heard of him. Yeah, he's got a restaurant. Apparently, when you go to fancy restaurants, they don't sometimes put the accurate price on menus. Sometimes not even any price at all. And so, headline here from, I don't know where this is from, but a headline says, a customer left with huge bill after misreading menu at Gordon Ramsay restaurant from a couple weeks ago. Customer at one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants says he didn't read the menu carefully and was hit with an extraordinary bill at the end of his meal, despite thinking the steak he was ordering was only $26. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was 26 pounds. I'm sorry, 26 pounds. 
Yeah, like what about four? Same thing. Forty bucks. Forty fifty. Yeah, bucks. it says thirty five dollars in parentheses. Uh, says he had reserved a table in the uh, casino where he was uh, visiting. He was going to go all out, Joe. He was going all out for the holidays. And he was surprised to see a triple sear Japanese A5 was on the menu. Even more shocked and delighted to see the price was 26 pounds for four ounces. See, this is confusing. Is it 26 pounds or is it four ounces? 26 pounds, four. Four ounces. <laughs> Get it? He got the bill. Yeah, Actually, yeah. it was $420. The entire bill was 600 Apparently, when they give you the ounces on the menu, that's per ounce. So Who knew? This is 100% a uh, steak brother situation here. I, uh, I, feel like, uh, I feel like my brother was this guy. But yeah, he spent $420. He got a 12 ounce. He was like... Pfft, Four ounces? Screw that. I want 12. <laughs> Bring it. And the guy's like, at right that, away, sir. At that price? Right away, sir. It says uh, the Kobe was only 35 for four ounces instead of 80 for an eight-ounce Wagyu. So I'm a big guy. I was hungry, so I ordered 12 ounces of Kobe. You know, it was amazing. I'm 40, and I've never had it before. But uh, that's what you get. So, hey, as you're going out for Christmas... Uh, holiday parties and stuff like that. If you're at a steak restaurant and it says that, that it's per listen ounce is probably per ounce. And if you have to ask, and that's the phrase, do, do you hate that phrase? I actually hate that phrase. If you have to ask, if you, you have you to ask, afford. you can't afford it. Yeah. It's like, that's so dumb. There's another one that was linked here. Uh, was a bill for an $850 steak. Oh man. Can you t- just, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't imagine. Well, first of all, you're at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. How do you think that a steak is 35 bucks? Like, like a, just yeah. a fantastic, fantastic, amazing steak. And, and if he was smart enough to know how amazing a steak it was, like, what did he think that the, that the magic discount elves had, had shown up and, and yeah, there's a way out the, of that, right? You can, you know, if your spidey sense is tingling and you think you're pulling one over on the wait staff, you're probably not. And you just say thirty five bucks for a steak. Yeah, just kind of point at it, and the and the server will likely say, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir. That's yeah, that's per ounce." You'd be like, "Oh, yeah, of course, yeah." And the four ounces per minute. I gotcha. You, could, you, I can only get it in four ounce sizes, and it's thirty five bucks per ounce. Okay, that makes more sense. I was thinking you guys had a hell of a deal. I was going to call all my buddies. Ha ha ha! You could turn it into like a funny joke, yes. you know, without yes. being nobody gets hurt. Well, without having to refinance your house for dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, There are so many resources on the 
Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.